welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. We exist to be a life-giving church in our community that helps people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and go make a difference. Here you will find weekly sermons and teachings from our Sunday services. Let's dive into this week's message. Welcome everybody. Man, I am so excited to have you joining us today as we're launching off our first series of 2024. And Man, I am so excited about this series that we're simply in calling The Umbrella. I could spend this whole introduction talking about what God's put on our art and what we're going to be studying God's Word. But what I want to do more than anything is just tell you, I believe that 2024, there is an amazing blessing that God would love for you to have as a part of your life. And I want to just talk about what we can do under the umbrella of obedience in order to open up the amazing blessings of God. So join me in this first part, simply entitled, The Umbrella of Prayer. Now, before I dive into it, here's what I want to make sure we set the stage. Today, I'm not degrading or taking away a personal prayer life. I think a lot of times we think in our minds, uh, we think of, of Matthew, we think of the Sermon on the Mount, we think of Jesus. When his disciples come to him and they say, teach us how to pray, and Jesus responds, do not pray like the Pharisees or the scribes pray in public, for they will get their reward, but in private, go to your closet, and then it says, pray like this, and then he quotes the Lord's Prayer. And we take that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, there's not only nothing wrong with it, it's correct, it's God's Word. But there's also a concept there that's also corporate prayer. See, Jesus was teaching them how to pray privately, trying to let them understand that you don't pray trying to gain some sort of acknowledgement as the Pharisees and scribes were doing. But Jesus more times talked about corporate prayer than he did private or individual prayer. And I'll hit that a little bit more. So today when I'm preaching, I don't want you to think that we're taking away the private prayer. I also don't want you to think that we're contradicting what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. What he was teaching was very true and is the word of God. But there's also a corporate prayer style that is very much a launching pad into his blessings. Because here's what I want you to catch. I truly believe that most people struggle in their life because they have a misconception. In fact, it was funny. I mentioned this several, several weeks ago. And then there's a large group of us that are reading the Bible chronologically this year. And in the book that we are reading along with that called The Bible Recap, I think there's about 78 of us that are there now, and it talked about the difference in mercy and grace. And when she said mercy, she said mercy is basically the concept when you don't get what you deserve. In other words, like you messed up. All you adults looking at me, you know what I'm talking about. You're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, there's somebody with lights flashing behind you, and you pull over. And what do you immediately think? Lord, please, just let him be merciful. And he comes up and says, listen, where are you going? And you're like, well, I, I was going to my pastor's house to pray. You know, you, you just start lying, right? Oh, my stomach was cramping. I had to use the bathroom real bad. You know, like, you do whatever you can. And you're praying that for some reason that, that that police officer says, well, listen, slow down. I'm going to let you go this time. But slow down. And you're like, whoo, that's mercy. And, and we, there is a real concept of mercy. And we hear about that a lot. Grace, grace is when you receive something you don't deserve. Mercy is when you, when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you receive something you don't deserve, all right? The best way I explain grace, I joked around this before, but if you look around the room, all the married men, raise your hand. 
All right, now all the wives beside him, raise your hand. Grace, right? How did that guy end up with her? It's called grace, all right? And so you got something you didn't deserve, all right? We talk about salvation. It's something that God gives us. It's a free gift. It's by grace we are saved, not by faith that any man should boast, okay? Or not by works that any man should boast. And it's one of those things that, so it's a concept of grace. Those two things are taught so mightily that I think sometimes it warps us in our thoughts. If you couple that, mercy and grace, with the concept of the, of the way people have used God's word for their own benefit. I'm not gonna talk about any particular TV evangelist, but if you've breathed long enough, you've known there have been people that they are in ministry and there's millions of reasons why they're in ministry. And they, you know, you, you can send them money and, and they're gonna give you a prayer cloth, right? And you say, Mickey, what are your thoughts about that? I, that's not for me to decide right now, but I'm gonna tell you, God's word, there's a thing called grace, there's a thing called mercy, and then there's a thing called blessing, and blessings of God should never be leveraged for the person to just receive the blessing. Scripture says he will bless you so that you can bless others. So if there's ever a time where you hear somebody preaching about blessings and they're the one receiving the biggest blessing, that should be a red flag. That makes sense? So because of that, here's the concept that I want us to dive into for the next few weeks. I believe that there is an umbrella where God's blessings flow. You say, well, Mickey, does God's blessings not flow outside of the umbrella? Yes, they do. That's called grace. That's when you receive something that you don't deserve. Well, are there concepts of punishment that are outside of the umbrella? Yes, that's called God's justice. He's a just God. Are there times that you do something outside of the umbrella, but yet you still don't receive punishment? Yes, that's called mercy. But we perceive blessing as something that just fits out here and that's where we live and we don't realize that there's an umbrella that we can get under that gives us a refuge or a shelter or during the storm, it gives us strength. And under this umbrella is where the blessing flows. I want to submit to you today that there are a few things and I'm gonna hit them over the next several weeks that should be a part of our lives that will help us get under God's umbrella and this umbrella is really built around one simple word. It's called obedience. And when we get obedient in these major things, then God's blessings are able to flow a whole lot more and a whole lot larger. I mentioned one of them just a minute ago when we took up the offering. We talk about tithes and offerings, and we talk about in Malachi where he says that if you will do what he's called you to do, if you will tithe, that he will turn around. He literally says, I will open up the floodgates of heaven, and you will not be able to build a storehouse big enough to hold what will be sent to you. Now, that's not the reason why you should give. The reason why you should give is because God said to give. But there is a promise that's there. And I think a lot of times it, it's, it's a blessing. There's other times throughout God's word. We think about Abraham and how Abram became Abraham and he was the father, right? Everybody remembers pre, uh, vacation Bible school, right? Father Abraham had many sons, right? 
And then we turn around and, and we realize through Abraham the blessing that ended up being many, many nations. We can also look at Rahab the prostitute and through her obedience, how she ends up being put into the lineage and what happens despite where she was. We, there's so many different people throughout God's word that you can tell that because they were obedient, because they got under the umbrella of obedience, then God blessed them and he blessed them richly. In fact, Scripture says that he, being Jesus, came to give you life and to give you life abundantly. Now, the question, maybe that sounds great, but that's not what I've been experiencing. I will suggest very carefully, that's because you're not under the umbrella of obedience. You've accepted Christ as your Savior, and you've fallen on the his grace. You do the wrong things, and he gives you mercy. But very rarely through your efforts and through your purpose do you truly align with God's word and be obedient to what he says to be obedient to. Now, one more quick rabbit, so we're all on the same page, because this is just the introduction. I am not about, I'm not talking about living a perfect life. I'm not talking about earning salvation or working your way into a relationship with God. What I'm talking about is there is a correlation between your obedience and the overflow of God's blessings. He can bless you whenever he wants to because he's God under the umbrella of grace. He can also Forgive you whenever he wants to forgive you because he's God and he can show you mercy. But boy, there is this amazing area that you can find yourself through the right lifestyle, through the right obediences where God says, mm, now that's my beloved child and who I am well pleased. It's Jabez, right? that I'll bless him and I'll expand his territory. But we get so backwards when we hear this because we've been distorted because we think of, of health, wealth, and prosperity like, oh, Pastor Mickey's trying to, that is not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is God's word and the fact that if we can learn to be obedient right from the very beginning of 2024, then we may get to the end of 2024 and go, holy moly, I had no idea it could be like this. And so I believe the first step, I believe the first step in order to get under that umbrella is communicating with God. Now, yes, you need to have a personal communication with God. Personally, you need to have a communication with God. In fact, we have prayer guides, these blue books. You'll see them on the stage. You'll see them on the tables as you come in. You'll see them at guest services. I highly encourage you to get you a prayer guide. You said, how much is it? It's free. We'll give you every resource we can to get you in God's word and to get you praying. Why? Because it betters all of us. But it's one of those things that gives you a guideline. So that way, it, if you're like me, I don't have a hard time praying. I have a hard time not being distracted. Like, I'm real good at starting prayers. The problem is the TV's on and all of a sudden it's kickoff. Or all of a sudden it's in the morning and all of a sudden I smell bacon. <laughs> that gets me every time, right? Bacon, 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 bacon. You know, like I get distracted. This helps give you a guide. It's a prayer guide. But I believe communicating with God is the first time. And in God's word, are you ready for this? 37 occasions, Jesus speaks or teaches on prayer. 37 times. Now, some of those 
correlate in the synoptic gospel. So there's more than 37 times that it's in the New Testament. But if you put the occasions together, there were 37 times that Jesus spoke about prayer. 33 of them was corporate. Only four times did he talk about individual prayer. I want you to just let that sink in for a minute. I truly believe that unlocking what God has and getting under the umbrella of the blessing, it starts with not only you praying, but you getting with people that pray and being a church that prays. And rather than me talking about it, turn to Acts. Acts chapter six, and let me just share just a little bit about what it is. In fact, when we talk about this obedience, when we talk about this blessing, the reading, I have scripture reading that's a part of our prayer guide that I'll talk about that in a minute for 21 Days of Prayer. But we're gonna be reading through the book of Daniel. I love, he is my favorite. I actually talk about Daniel in Growth Tribe. We talk about Daniel and how his exceptional qualities set him apart. And I love his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like they're obedient and look at what God did and the favor that they've got and the blessings they received. But let me talk about corporate prayer for just a minute. Go to Acts chapter six, starting in verse one. I wanna read these first four verses, and then I I wanna give you basically three things that I believe is the reason why most people misunderstand corporate prayer, and then I wanna teach you what these verses actually teach us. Verse one, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistics arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out for you from among you seven men of good repute and full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And then listen to verse four. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Can I pray for just a second? Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word. And as we dive into your word, may it truly pierce us. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And may we chew on it. May we literally feast on your word today and leave here changed. Lord, may we receive and hear your word and then do something about it. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Three things, if you're taking notes, and then I'm gonna go back into this scripture, three things that I believe really hurts most churches when it comes to corporate prayer. Number one, corporate prayer is on par with preaching and teaching as a priority in the healthy church. When it comes to corporate prayer, you need to understand that God's design, and I'll show you this in just a minute, is that corporate prayer is on par, it's equal to as much as preaching the word of God in any healthy church. The problem is, is most church leadership look at prayer as an extracurricular activity. That's number two. It's one of those things that's like, well, we're going to do this. We're going to feed the the people that need food. We're going to give shelter to the homeless. We're going to meet the needs of the community. We're going to provide Bible studies. We're going to do all these things. And then they talk about prayer, and it's almost like this extracurricular thing. Like, oh, yeah, when, when you get done eating, make sure you... You know, before you eat, you bless your food. And before you do your Bible study, you say a prayer. And before you play the church league softball game, make sure you pray. And make just, but we just extracurricular, almost like, hey, we, we go to school and we go to school to get an education and just so happens that you have the opportunity to play sports or to do cheerleading or 
I just said that like cheerleading's not a sport. I totally apologize. That's not what I meant. All right? But, you know, you can do sports or you can do soccer or you can do anything. I did it again, didn't I? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm joking. It's supposed to laugh there. It's okay. Uh, but, it's, you know, sports or band or drama or, or SGA, like, it's just extracurricular things, but it's not the main thing. Because the main thing is to get an education. I truly believe that in God's word, and I'm fixing to show you, Christ and God himself puts corporate prayer on the same level. It is par with the preaching of his word. But most people don't realize that. And then they wonder why God doesn't move like he normally should. And then the last thing that's really a struggle is because a lot of times people believe that praying together, they don't realize the, how vital of a key it is to opening up the blessings. You say, well, Mickey, can you prove that? Yes, I can in God's word. But let's dissect this word for just a minute. Verse one, verse one of chapter six. Now, in these day, days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistics arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What does this mean? Like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, look, there was two different groups of Jews, all right? Acts is happening, and a lot of people are converting to Christianity and even this Jewish culture. And what is Hellenistic in Hebrew? What does that mean? Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews. That's all that means. It was the language in which they spoke. And that would tell you a little bit of the region in which they lived. And the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, they were upset because the original Jews, the Hebrew-speaking Jews, they were not taking care of their widows. In fact, that word ministry there comes from the Greek word diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. I'm gonna chase a real quick rabbit just because this is free of charge. Most churches struggle in their leadership because they put a board or a body in, in charge of the uh, structure of the church and they were never meant to be the structure. They were meant to be the service. Deacons in God's church were never meant to be an authority. They were meant to be a ministry. There was a ministry of the deacons. The word deacon actually means through the dirt. In other words, you administer to the people. One of the reasons why so many churches are failing miserably is because they have a body of deacons and they don't do ministry. All they do is tell people what they should do as far as authority. And guess what? That's not the way they were set up. They were set up because the Hellenistic Jews were like, look, ain't nobody taking care of our widows, but you're taking care of all of your widows. And they said, well, we're gonna have to do something about that. So that was the issue. What happens in number two? Listen to what he says. He says in verse two, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Again, you have the apostles and then they say, listen, we know that God has called us to preach the word. It is not right that we would stop preaching the word in order to serve tables. I'll give you two guesses what word in the Greek was used for serve tables. Same word as before, deaconos, where we get the word deacon. And he was saying, listen, there's a difference in preaching the gospel and ministering to the people. Can I chase another quick rabbit? A lot of times in church life, here's where the 2024 church will fail when we get more called up in meeting the needs of people 
rather than delegating and realizing we all carry that burden. It's not a pastor's responsibility to meet the needs of all the people. That's the reason why we have dream teams. That's the reason why we have other people that are in leadership. That's the reason why if you're a lady in this church and you get involved in a community group and all of a sudden you get sick, I do find out about it and I do pray and I normally do like to reach out. Why? Because I actually love this. I love what God's called me to do. I'm that weird guy that I like going to the hospital when it's you and not me because I don't want to be in the hospital, but I want to come down there because I want to love on you. I'd rather you not be in the hospital. I'd rather spend time with you on the golf course or on a fishing boat or on a walk. Well, maybe not a walk, but doing something <laughs> rather than being in the hospital. But what was happening is people saying, wait a minute, what about us? These people are getting their needs met. What about us? And if you start focusing on meeting people's needs, when you're called to preach the word and you stop preaching the word, the thing's gonna crumble. So what did they do? Well, let's see how they handled it. Next verse, verse three. Therefore, I've given you the situation. I've given you what they're talking about. So what did they do? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, I'll give you two guesses what that word duty is. Deaconos. Ministry. He says, we're going to appoint seven people. Why? Because it's vitally important to meet the needs of the people. But what you do is you multiply the church rather than expecting just one person to do all of it. You say, well, Mickey, how do we do that at Crossroads? Again, we call that dream teams. This morning, you showed up and, and praise the Lord. I, I, I did not set up everything that was in that lobby. I did not cook all that amazingness that was at the hospitality table. I didn't make the coffee or the water. I didn't set up the children's stuff. I didn't, you say, well, Mickey, what did you do? I, I, that's embarrassing. To be honest with you, I don't know that I did anything. All right? I prepared and was ready. I set up the prayer guides. I put up some, some wrote some letters. I, I mean, all of us have different roles. But the cool thing is expanding the ministry to realize that everybody has a calling and can help meet the needs of the people. And we call that his church. So they appoint seven men. And they say, okay, you need to be of, of good rapport, good, or be able to, to have a good reputation. And they appoint these seven men. And, and one of them is Stephen. And you'd read about him a little bit later because the accusations. And they start going out and meeting the needs of these Hellenistic Jews and their widows. And all of a sudden it says at the end in verse seven, we're not gonna go there, but it says that things explode or continue to grow. But verse four, verse four is the key to the whole thing. Can I read it for you? Listen to what happens in verse four. And then he said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I want you just to catch something. The whole time, the 12 disciples have gotten this group together. They're trying to decipher how to deal with this issue. They're talking about how it's important for them to spread the gospel. Realize that Acts is the story of God expanding and planning his church. 
and they realized that like Pentecost has happened. 3,000 people came to know Christ and it grew the church in one day. Like things are exploding. And they realized that like this is what we gotta do. Like God's spirit is here and we need to expand the church and, and there's visions that are being had and there's things that are taking place and God's church is moving very quickly. And immediately, one of the things that tried to attack the church was what attacks the church today. It's the attack of busyness. It's like, let's quit doing these things that were the foundation, the preaching of the word, and let's start trying to meet everybody's needs. And, and what about this person and this person and this person and this person and this person? And the reason why Satan uses that as his tool is because he's trying to destroy the church. But the reality is, is the foundation of the church is the same foundation when Jesus went into the temple and he started flipping the tables. What did he say? You have made my father's house into a den of robbers, but it was never intended to be like that. It was intended to be a house of what? Prayer. Whenever we get away from prayer, listen to these words, we start the process of robbing people. Whenever a church gets out of the concept of, of, of praying corporately and preaching his word, then what we've started doing is we've, we've created a house of robbery. In other words, we are taking something from people that God intended them to have. You say, well, Mickey, what are you taking from them? The blessing. God has a major blessing. And in verse four, we realize a few things. Number one, they put on par prayer along with the aspect of preaching the word. You say, well, Mickey, I, I hear what you're saying, but how do you know that's corporate prayer? Well, there were three other times prior to Acts chapter six that prayer is mentioned. I actually wrote them down in my notes so that I would recall all of them. It was Acts chapter 1, verses 14 and verse 24. It was Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. All three of those times when prayer is mentioned before Acts chapter 6, it was the apostles praying with or teaching people how to pray in a corporate se uh, session. It wasn't individual prayer life. It was corporate prayer life. Because of that, it gives us a complete understanding that when they were talking about prayer in chapter six, you know what he was talking about? They were talking about this group and they said that we would continue to pray and to preach the gospel. It wasn't we like individually. It was that as a group, the apostles would continue to pray over the church, with the church, and preach the gospel to the community and to the church. And that is the reason why the early church exploded like it did. But I think there's one other thing that'll teach you and help me and you understand just how powerful corporate prayer can be. It's in Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, verse seven. You're gonna see it on the screen. I want you to listen to this verse. You've heard it many times. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And so many times we read that and we think, oh yeah, you, like that, that's singular, right? Do you know that that pronoun used in the Greek, that's actually a plural pronoun? The you there is plural. It's referring to, to you being, being the church, being believers. When two or three are gathered, he is in our midst. And when we bind these things on earth, they are bound in heaven. And it's the aspect of a corporate community praying together. And when we ask, when we knock, these things will change. 
You say, well, Mickey, if it's a we rather than a you, why didn't they just say we? Because the Greek language can be extremely, extremely complex. There's many different verb tenses and many different noun tenses, and you have present active indicative and Arabic and all these other things, and, and it, it just it can get crazy. And most people want to translate it literally. I'm a literal guy. That's the reason why I like the ESV study Bible so much. I like it's a literal translation. They took the Greek and they translated it into English. They didn't paraphrase it or go from a different translation. They, they directly, tra- what's called transliterated God's word. It went from one to the next. In the Old Testament, they went from Hebrew to English. In the New Testament, they went from Greek to English. They didn't take the King James Version and, and then paraphrase that and rework it. It's called a transliteration. And so that word you is the appropriate word. Have you ever been at a party or ever been out in, the, in public? Have you ever done anything? And you're talking to a group and you say, okay, you come on, let's go. Are you always referring to one person or sometimes they're multiple? Now, for you guys up north, you're like, no, no, we say you guys. Down here, what do we say? Y'all. <laughs> yeah. Y'all come on. You say, that's what I need. I need a, I need a Bible that says y'all. <laughs> We could make millions of dollars off of that, couldn't we? The Southern Dialect Bible. (laughs) That's just funny thinking about it, isn't it? But listen to me. The point is this. There is something that is said when the you goes from an individual to a plural concept and we start binding things together and praying to God together. So I'll pick on Pastor Zach. See, when Pastor Zach and I, if we get together in the church office and we start praying, do you know what happens? All of a sudden, the personal things that I want start to drop down because I'm with somebody and there's accountability. And all of a sudden, I'm not like, Lord, I just, I just, Lord, give me a new Cadillac. I don't ask for a Cadillac. Why? Because I'm praying with Pastor Zach. And all of a sudden, we start binding things that are truthful and are, and are worthy and, and, and are, are priority. All of a sudden, we're, we're praying together, and Pastor Zach, his biggest heart, and I join with him in this prayer, is, Lord, help our church know how to worship. Help us to show up and, and worship you in spirit and in truth and, and not have any hinges or, or ailments or, or anything holding us back. Help us to be able to worship Christ freely and have a spirit of worship that every person that comes into this place can worship you and lift their hands if they want to lift their hands and, and stand there in silence if they want to stand there in silence and open up and sing if they want to open up and sing and whatever it may be. Lord, let it be pleasing to you. Let it be a fragrant sense. May our worship be appealing to you. That's a prayer of Pastor, Pastor Zach. And so when I get with Pastor Zach and he wants to start praying about that, that's easy to pray. You say, Mickey, why has worship been on such an uptick since Pastor Zach took over? I'll give you two examples. I just gave you one. And the second thing is he's got a group of people on stage that have that same heart with him that want to see us all worship. And they pray about it. Like, listen to me, I wanna convince you, talking about this umbrella, the first step is for us as a corporate body to get under the umbrella of the blessings and learn how to pray. I'm not talking about praying 
you know, Lord, I almost hate to ask this because I know there's probably a person that has a worse situation than me or, Lord, there's people that bad off to me or there's other people in the world that's this. No, to get under the umbrella and say, Lord, we just, we want to ask. Lord, we want to seek. Lord, we want to knock. And, Lord, I want you to know that as we're asking and as we're seeking and as we're knocking, that we know who you are And no matter what the answer is, that's not going to deter us from your character and who you are. We're going to pursue you with reckless abandonment together. But as you answer, as you see yourself fit and we find you, as you open the door, we're going to celebrate and we're going to see who you are and we're going to know that you are God and that you are the one that's in control. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you will find yourself under an umbrella and you're not leveraged on mercy. You're not leveraged on grace. God's literally saying, this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. And all of a sudden, he pours out his blessings. Can I give you a, another concept to hopefully drive this home for all the parents in the room? How different is it when you're a parent and your children are being obedient compared to when they're being disobedient? Daddy can go get ice cream. Are you kidding me? You want to go get ice cream? After the way I just heard you talk or the things that you've been doing, like you just appealing to my fat guys because you know I like ice cream. Compared to they've done what they're supposed to do. You get a good report from school. You get a good report from a coach. You get somebody that, that texts you something about how they've loved a friend well or been there for somebody. And you show up and they get in the car and they're like, where are we going? I'm like, well, before we go home, I thought we'd stop and get some ice cream. Well, why are we getting ice cream? Because you're awesome. Like, I want you to know I got one of the greatest texts I've ever gotten. I got a phone call today and, man, I was so proud to be your daddy. And I just want you to know that I am so, I mean, like, finally, you are more like your daddy than your mama. I'm so proud of you. Let's go get some ice cream. (laughs) You understand? Like, when your kids are obedient, you absolutely love it. And you run through it. And that's the concept that's going on. So listen to me. One of the things that we've got to catch is I don't want to just preach a message about corporate prayer. I want to... I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to actually participate and become involved in corporate prayer. Well, I paused the podcast right there because I wanted to make sure I gave you guys the same opportunity. Uh, We as a church are in the middle of 21 days of prayer. We started uh, today, Monday, January the 8th. And I want to invite you to go to crosswordscommunitychurch.com and you will see our 21 Days of Prayer tab. It's right there on the front page. And there's a guide there. There's a prayer guide. It has prayer emphasis. It has different things as far as reading through the book of Daniel. And man, it would be a privilege. It would be an honor. I would love for you to join us over the next 21 days, praying together, binding things on this earth that will be bound in heaven. Man, I love you. Thank you so much for joining us for another podcast. There's a lot of information there at crosswordscommunitychurch.com, ways you can participate, ways you can get involved, and also ways you can support the ministry. Here's to a great 21 days of prayer. Have a great day.
Be blessed and have a great day.